I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. What is going on, Celtics fans? It has been a while. I do apologize. I am really, really sorry. I've had probably one of the worst months of my life, if we're being quite honest. But enough about the sad stuff. Basketball's back in seven days, six by the time you're listening to this. I'm running out of breath. I haven't been speaking very often. What's going on? I'm joined by my boy, Mr. Will Weir. How's it going, bro? Hey, what's going on, my guy? Yeah, man, it's uh, the season's coming up quickly. You know, we're almost at that point where training camp's about to happen, like you mentioned, just about a week away or so. And then, you know, week after that, we have actual basketball to talk about. Actual, real live games. Let's go. People will be putting balls in hoops, and I will be very interested. <laughs> yeah. like, it's crazy. The, how the, dri- the dribbles are going to happen, man. The dribbles are no, coming. Dude, I'm, I can't wait for that first, like, ridiculous heat check that gets me super heated, and then just, like, the flood of emotions that are going to run through me from, from excitement to anger to depression <laughs> to, to, to sheer elation. And into pure perplexedness, where I'm like, did that just like I need that roller coaster back in my life, man? That that sounds like the Marcus Smart special. And he was the player I was thinking <laughs> when I was talking, dude. That was the guy. Oh man, yeah, that's we, 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 that's how you know we've been following this team for a long time. You know, you you go through that whole lineup, and we both have the same player in our mind. Love love Marcus Smart, but we know he's the heat check guy on this team. The heat check guy, I, you might as well start putting um, a five-point line in the parking lot, dude. Look. Well, that's like, uh, do you, have you ever heard the famous Antoine Walker, co- uh, Antoine Walker quote? Which one? Uh, so there was one, I don't, I don't remember when he was asked this specifically, but obviously Antoine Walker, prolific three-point shooter for the, you know, the amount that he took. You know, I actually looked it up, I think at one point back in like 02 or 03, he was shooting about seven, eight a game, which clearly led the league at that time and would still put him near the top of the league uh, during during this era in which it's much more of a, you know, of an option for the offense. But someone asked him, why do you shoot so many three-point shots? He said, because there's no four-point shot. It's true, though, right? Like, that's the Marcus Smart mentality, dude. I mean, shout out Marcus Smart, though. He was um, super active on Twitter the other day. He was getting it. He was responding to pretty much everybody that was atting him. Uh, I love it when players do that with the fans, yeah. of, uh, the, the fans of the team. I love the way that that, that builds that relationship, right? Like, I, I'm waiting for the day that I see Jason Tatum doing that stuff, and I am spamming his mentions. To, <laughs> like, Yo, you need to be on the podcast, dude. What's going on? But uh, enough about the talking to fans. Let's talk about the players. I think that we've got a few things we want to talk about today just to lay out the show for everybody listening. If you're on your drive to work, this is going to be a good one. If you're chilling, it's going to be, do you know what? It's just going to be good. I ain't going through everything you could be doing. Today, we're going to look at roster battles. So training camp, as I said, is six days away at the time of listening to this. There's going to be a few different guys fighting for whether they're going to be starting, whether they're going to be the first player in their position off the bench or whether they're just going to be hoping to see a couple of minutes per game because they just haven't shown improvement or their skill set doesn't fit what Emeo Doak is trying to do. We're also going to touch on, and Jeff, if you're listening, I do apologise now. I saw your tweet the other day, but we are definitely going to touch on some Ben Simmons and what that would mean for the rest of the Eastern Conference if he got traded either to an Eastern Conference team or to a Western Conference team. Hopefully it's the latter, but let's be honest with you. If he gets traded to another Eastern Conference team, all that means is we've got less to worry about with that team in the playoffs. 
I love it. I love it. The spicy slander has begun. Yeah, I joke. I joke. It's uh, you know, Ben Simmons is an awesome player, but he's also a terrible, terrible guy to be hanging your hat on in the playoffs, as judging by last season. Obviously, I'm kind of um, definitely jumping on the slander train early. Do I believe everything I'm saying? Not totally. <laughs> but it's a lot. It's a lot funner than the other take, which is being, which is uh, you know. I mean, the thing is with Ben Simmons. I mean, should we just start here with Ben Simmons since we're already we going down? Well, this right? I mean, look, Philly fans are slandering the dude. We're not doing. Yeah, I mean, I told you when I was in Philly a couple of weeks ago, one of the last podcasts we did, where you know the the local news is making a joke out of him as a trash can leaving down a flooding river. So you know, I mean, it's not, not like we're the ones as Boston fans that are the ones doing the beating up on Ben Simmons. They're doing it a lot in Philly. But you know what, Ben Simmons, man, it's a. I think it's a fascinating case of what's going to happen with this team. And you know, he's threatening that right now. It's reported by Woes from ESPN earlier today that he's willing to go ahead and sit out and deal with the ramifications of of holding out and what that might mean financially, contractually, uh, and really try and force Philly's hand to make a move. And you know, depending on how long this plays out, Philly's. Philly's a pretty deep team, and you know we all know how good Joel Embiid is. We know that he's got some supporting help, but the longer they're without Ben Simmons, who say what you will about him, the man's probably one of the top two or three defenders in the league. Not having him, not really having a playmaker when Embiid is off the court, like if we if this plays itself out over a period of weeks, you know maybe he maybe the Sixers are just without him. They haven't made a trade yet. Who knows what that does to Philly's record? And this is going to be a pretty tight race, I think, in the Eastern Conference. I think the top two, as long as they stay healthy, Milwaukee and Brooklyn kind of separate themselves. But then I think when you look at that three through up until the play-in, there's about four or five teams in which the Celtics and Sixers are two of them. And it's going to be a big deal if you're not if you're not getting some of these victories early on to go ahead and separate yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think Ben Simmons is looking at how James Harden kind of handled his exit from Houston. And he's trying to thinking to himself, I can do something similar. I can, I can manufacture an exit from this team. I'm not happy here. I don't like the way the fans are talking about me. I don't like the way the media are dealing with me. Um, there's been multiple times where the team has actively tried to trade me for a different superstar. I want to move on. The difference is Ben Simmons doesn't have the cachet in the bank that James Harden had with Houston. James Harden wanted to leave. He was also one of the top, what, would you put him in the top eight players in the league? Top eight yeah. scorers in the league? Top eight, and, I'll put him top eight players. He's that good of a scorer that he's the yeah. top eight player in the league. Ben Simmons is one of the best defenders in the league, arguably one of the better um, shot creators in the league as well. His playmaking ability is ridiculously good, but he doesn't have that je ne sais quoi. He doesn't bring that scoring as well to really put him in that upper echelon of players that can really kind of dictate where they go when they want to go. There's a lot of baggage that's going to come with Simmons. And I think a lot of teams are concerned about how they build around somebody like that. So the, I don't see this being a quick fix. I think it could we could start going into the six, seven, eight week kind of. But unless a team like the Sacramento Kings who really need some form of star um, to pair with the Aaron Fox, um, try and make a trade there. I, I, there's just not many options I see for the Sixers and Simmons. And then when you want to talk about losing games, let's be quite honest with ourselves. The Philly are a duo team. They're a team that have two big names in Embiid and Simmons, and then they have a very, very deep and talented supporting cast. You take away one of those stars, you're putting so much on Embiid that's already got a, a history of injuries. He needs to be load managed a little bit. You don't want to be putting too much work on him early in the year 
when you're going to have to rely on him later. So there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of teething issues, and I think that for Philly, they need to they need the best package back because otherwise this year and the entire process just starts to fall apart without any championship. Yeah, and I think you just touched on the most underrated part of this dramatic storyline that we have right now is is the whole Embiid factor of this. You know, Embiid with his injury his issues and, you know, his history, and despite, you know, missing the first two seasons, he's been more healthy than you probably would initially imagine, but he does always seem to be by the end of the season, there's some type of nicks and bruises that are slowing him down, not allowing him to be, you know, the Joel Embiid that at midpoints in various parts of the last few seasons has been in the top three discussion for the MVP race and then seems to falter off towards the end. So, you know, you're one injury away from Embiid, you know, happening to Embiid, Simmons leaving in a trade, and if you don't get back the right value, you're restarting the process in Philly. Let's make no mistake about it. No matter how deep that roster is with other guys that support, as you talked about, those two stars, you're restarting the process. If you trade Simmons for the wrong value, Embiid has some type of injury that creeps back in from his history, you're restarting. So this is a really big moment for the Sixers here. And I think when it comes to them getting the right deal, it's it's just really fascinating to watch because like you said, I think it's really hard for, for people. And, and, you know, I think some front office people can be, you know, less biased than fans because for fans, all we're thinking about is Ben Simmons game seven, Trey Young standing six feet away from him, and he passes the ball out instead of dunking it. That's the image that is ingrained in every single fan's mind when it comes to Ben Simmons. If you're doing a word association and you're trying to think of a picture, that's what people are going to think of. And, and you know, for me, I've always thought that, I, I, you know, over the last couple of years, it just feels like Embiid and Simmons is not the right combo. They're both great players in my mind. I just think they're the wrong combo. And last year with Doc Rivers, I think it just felt a little new to begin the season, it was like, oh, maybe Doc's figured something out. But then you get to the playoffs, and it's the same thing, man. I just don't think these guys work. And and I think for Simmons, you know, you really got to make him the focal point of the offense in the sense of give him the ball, let him be the guy with the ball in his hands. And when he doesn't, he's got to be down the low block. He's got to be screening. He's got to be, you know, a short roll guy, kind of like we talked about some of the best big uh, big men passers in the game. If you turn Simmons into your quote unquote big man on offense, you know, I think that's why I think an area like Portland, a team like Portland, I think is actually a really fun fit. However, I don't think Daryl Moore is going to get his guy in Dame Lillard. I think it's more of a CJ McCollum center package, but I think that makes a lot of sense for both teams. I just think that's not the return Daryl Moore is looking for, but I feel like that deal will be out there or a wild card team like the Kings that you mentioned earlier. So somebody mentioned this to me. I wish I could take credit for this because it's a good it's a good um, thought process that they went down. And I'm really sorry that I don't remember who told it me or who I discussed this with. It was very much a discussion. And I've kind of subscribed to this way of thinking as well. And this will be the last thing I say on Ben Simmons that doesn't revolve around how it affects the Celtics. But for me, after this discussion and after agreeing, Ben Simmons is more Draymond than he is Steph. He's more of a complimentary guy than he is a guy that you build a team around. Yeah. Uh, solid on-ball defense, solid off-ball defense, excellent playmaking and court vision, but you can't rely on him to score. So what you need to do is ask him to be the glue guy, ask him to be the guy that set, that's setting the table for the scorers, for the superstars, and put, move Simmons into a tertiary role rather than a secondary role. Ask him to be the third wheel on a team. Just focus on... You've heard of free and D. This is assisting D. Just focus on, <laughs> a focus on assisting guys and defending. And that's your role now. 
And then you've got two guys you like, you know, if you had MB, then you can find a way to bring in another scorer. Maybe like um, I don't know, just throw out any name. Imagine they got Duncan Robinson. They're never gonna, mm-hmm. but imagine they did. Yeah, and, and kept Simmons. Well, now you could have that Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green type of mentality with Simmons kind of adopting that. So I think that a lot of teams are looking at Simmons and thinking that's kind of what his role needs to be now. But in what you need to give up to acquire him, well, he can never be in that role because you have to give up too much to bring him in in the first place. And I think that's where this catch-22 roundabout's happening. For Boston, this is great. And as Celtics fans, we've had discussions where we're like, hey, if Marcus Smart doesn't sign his contract extension, the Celtics missed the boat to get the maximum return for Marcus. Do you remember those discussions we had? Of course. And I feel like Philly fans are having to have these discussions now. They wanted to trade Ben Simmons for certain players over the last two years and never pulled the trigger. And every year, Ben Simmons' trade value has taken another hit after another hit. And now they've gone from a guy that they could have like legitimately traded for, uh, for an all-star or, you know, all-star for all-star. And now we're talking about the best you're going to get to CJ McCollum, who's a mighty good player, but he's not the guys that were in discussions for when it was, when it was a James Harden last year. Or, you know what I mean? I think that... We've yeah, tumble. it just it just feels like a breaking point. Like, like who's going to break first is the question. Is it going to be the yeah. Philly front office or is it going to be Ben Simmons and coming back to play? Because there's four years on that contract. And so, you know, like you said, as a Celtics fan, looking at it from our perspective, you know, I view it as the longer Ben Simmons hold out, the long the, the better opportunity it is in the immediate sense for the Celtics to go ahead and, and make a run at getting one of those top four seeds and getting some home court advantage come playoff time. And then in the long term, depending on what happens, you know, I, I think that it's gonna be really difficult for Philly to win this situation. So I do I think ultimately my prediction for for this situation is that Philly ends up settling for some type of package that just makes more sense for their team. They're going to lose the value, I think, in this trade. But I think that they're going to end up settling for something that makes more sense. Because like I said, it's underrated that they cannot waste a year of the Joel Embiid window because that window is is tentative as to how long it's going to be open sure. when you're relying on him. So they they can't look to get just a future package. They need something that, that brings them stability to their roster and gives them a chance to compete. But I think they're going to have to settle for something like that. And like I said, I, my prediction to this day is that Ben Simmons for CJ and some type of uh, a trade package I think is likely unless something like you mentioned the Kings or – you know, I don't. It, it's really tough to find tra- trade suitors for this, but it'll be interesting to see what that type of team would look like if they get back, you know, seventy-five cents on the dollar with pieces that make more sense, and see see what that opens up for the Sixers, because then that's a whole other discussion that we can have about, you know, what that does for the Celtics and and where they match up. So, uh, it's going to be a fun plot line to ke- to keep going throughout the season here. Oh, for sure. I love these players kind of demanding their way out. And I like it when the team stands strong and be like, you can go when we're ready to let you go. Or you can go when we get an offer that we think matches your ability. But guess what? We overvalue you, so you are not going anywhere, dude. You can go sit at home and watch TV. Or you can go down the the San Antonio route and be like, you're right, you want to go? Okay, where's a place you'd least want to be? Right, we're going to send you there, obviously, for San Antonio, that backfired. Yeah, that backfired big time. Yeah, but, you know, you want to go to LA, that's cool. I'm going to send you to Canada instead. Backfired, <laughs> but I like I like the mentality behind it. So, yeah, I agree, man. I think that um, what happens in Philly does affect what, what happens in Boston. It does affect how the playoffs shape up. Um, also, it also affects how the Boston Celtics kind of how many teams you see being true contenders against them 
for a finals berth or for a conference finals berth. You know, if you get Philly in the first round as currently constructed, you're not that scared. If you yeah. get Philly in the first round and somehow, some way, they're think got... about the bubble. Think about the yeah. bubble without Ben Simmons. That was a four game sweep. It's, it's that easy. And now you have to ask yourself, like, maybe they just end up getting Marvin Bagley. Who cares if they've got Marvin Bagley? Man, that's a that's a that's a that's a sad day for Philly fans if they end up <laughs> with Marvin Bagley for Ben Simmons. So hey, you had Oof. a few years of almost contending. Now here's Marvin Bagley. <laughs> anyway. So we've talked about what could happen to the Celtics. Let's talk about things that are actually going to be happening behind closed doors in the next week or so. We've got raster battles, man. Now, I did text you which ones we were going to talk about. Do you have them to hand? I'm pulling them up right now. Let's see what we've got here. I know that one of them involves my boy Romeo. It does. It does. Let's let's start with Rob and Al because I think then we can kind of trickle down from there. So let's, let's start with Rob Williams. Versus Al Horford, and I think this is kind of a an interesting roster battle because I don't think there's really a, a loser in this scenario because I think Rob and Al work so well with almost every lineup that you can you can put out there that you know I've been reading a lot of you know various season previews here and a lot of people are penciling in Rob Williams as 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 the starter which I don't think is wrong but I was a little surprised I kind of in my mind envisioned Al as the starter Rob coming off the bench just given some of his success last year in that role as well as trying to manage uh, a little bit of his time given his injury concerns Uh, but I've seen a lot of people penciling in Rob Williams but then I've also seen you know, Jared Weiss had this, Zach Lowe talked about it on his podcast, about actually running out that double big lineup as the starting lineup. And a few weeks ago, you and Greg went through a really cool practice of doing the different potential, you know, hypothetical rotations that Ime Odoka might run out there. And you kind of got to the to the double big towards the end. And, you know, I think that's absolutely going to be something we'll see at certain points. But I'm a little surprised to see both Jared Weiss and Zach Lowe, two guys, obviously, that know a ton of basketball. Jared's very, you know, in tune to the Celtics. And both of them leaning towards the idea of this double big lineup to start. Now, I think it's obviously a lot more versatile than Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson. So Celtics fans, don't freak out. This is not the same double big lineup that we went through last year. Um, But I do think it's interesting. Do do you have a way that you're leaning as far as between Rob and Al, who you think makes the better starter, assuming that at least three of those spots are going to go to Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tate? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm leaning more Al Horford for two reasons. One, I think that Robert Williams' impact off the bench is completely underrated. Everybody's looking at what he can do and the the way he played when he was in the starting five. Completely understand that train of thought. I agree that um, Robert Williams was excellent when he was with that starting five. However, in my opinion, you lose something off the bench when Robert Williams is in that starting lineup. You lose somebody that you can be like, hey, things aren't working right now we need to inject some above the rim athleticism and we need some high-end energy rob let's get you in there now and let's start changing the way the game flows if you've got rob williams in the starting five who do you turn to then now you have dennis schroeder at Gelly, but at the same time dennis schroeder is very much going to be looking for his own shot he, he's very much a ball dominant guy rob williams hurts guys off ball more because he can manipulate the way a defense sets up so for me, that's one of the most important reasons why I would prefer Al Horford to start is to make sure that you've got a break glass in case of emergency guys straight off the bench. And the other reason is 
I'm not sold on Rob's ability to stay healthy um, yeah. when playing, especially when playing against starting units where um, big men are usually a little bit more skilled. They're, they're a little bit more robust in the way they defend, a bit more physical. So having Rob come on against the second unit is also, in a way, protecting him a little bit and trying to manage his minutes and manage his matchups so that he's not spending more time recovering from injury because that's been what's held him back so far in his career. So that would be why I'd lean out at least to start the season. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. And like I said, I think I could be convinced of the argument to the other side of this too. So this is one of those roster battles where I don't think there's a loser. Um, you know, I, I think this is more just going to be about what it's the right timing for based on on what Ime is seeing and what and what he's looking to do throughout the season. Because you mentioned, you know, playing him, having Rob Williams come off the bench with a guy like Schroeder. And you think maybe a guy like Aaron Neesmith's on that second unit. You just think about the energy, the kind of almost chaotic energy that you come in with that second unit. Unit. And I kind of like the idea of, you know, of mixing it up with those type of high energy guys that immediately come into the game and really change up that flow and give you a variety of looks that you can throw at an opponent. So I really am liking that idea of, of problems coming off the bench. But like I said, I, I don't think you can go wrong either way. And I do think that double big lineup has some merit to it. I wouldn't probably lean that way as starting as that being my go-to starting lineup. But I do like the idea of having them out there together. And I think they can coexist in a way that, you know, like we certainly didn't see last year, as I said, with that double big lineup. But I think the high-low game that you can work with Rob Williams and Al Horford and Al giving you, you know, that that spacing beyond the arc, Rob Williams giving you that vertical threat. And then if you're having them out there with whether it's some combination of uh, the Jays, Smart, Schroeder, Richardson, whatever else it, it may be, I, I think it's a different look that you can throw out there and that they might need versus teams like the Bucks or teams like the Sixers that we mentioned when you just might need some extra length, some extra bigger bodies that are out there to, to go up against those teams. It's going to be a lineup you'll see, but I, I think with Allen Rob. You can't go wrong either way. And like we talked about, two of the best, maybe top 15 passing big men in the league. I'm super excited to see what each of them bring. And then when they're on the court together, I'm really fascinated to see what that looks like. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the variations that you can run in play styles, you know, from having these guys one putt, one drop on a, on a horn set, being able to run some screen screener actions with Al Horford and Rob Williams. There's so many variations that you can run that make it such an intriguing duo to at least try for stretches. And I think when you're going, like, um, for me, it would be a really good counter when teams go small. I think yeah. that when teams go small, running that double big, because of the skill the skill sets that these guys have and how well they kind of mesh together in drawn-up sets and in counters to how defenses will try and switch or they will try and, um, they'll try and hedge on a guy or blitz. Having a guy who like Horford that stays composed and then a guy like Rob Williams that is just very much like this insanely bouncy. You know, like when pup, when you first see puppies and they just want to jump. <laughs> like it, it, It's that type of energy, right? Like uh, Yeah, I think so, Smith has a similar energy as well. So I'm saying you put the two of them out there, that's a little bit of chaos. And sometimes chaos is a good thing. Yo, I remember this. I remember like... um. So I've done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for years. People yeah. who listen on this podcast. Oh, I love where we're going with this. Tell me more. One of the, one of the sayings that happen in a Jiu-Jitsu gym is the new white belts, the guys that are just starting out, just like, like you know, first, second, third, fourth, fourth, fifth class, they are the most dangerous guys in the entire gym because they have they don't have a clue what they're doing. 
but they're also the most enthusiastic. If you're going to get <laughs> injured, it's not by a guy that's been doing it 10 years. It's just an absolute killer. It's by this guy that's been doing it five seconds and just what every has to win all the time. So he'll just do whatever it takes to win rather than learn. And uh, you can get some nasty injuries, man. So when you've got these guys like Neesmith, like Rob, that are pure energy, pure enthusiasm, that's really difficult to kind of counter and to and to absorb that much energy without being worn down and, and hurt or defeated. Um, so I like I, I kind of think about that um, the way that marries up with being in the jiu-jitsu gym and watching these new guys just completely go crazy and someone ends up losing an arm. Uh, it's the way it's going to be this year, I'm telling you. We're going to have to call that our wealth, our white belt lineup. The white belt lineup, Aaron Neesmith, Rob Williams, Romeo Langford, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll go with Juancho. Yeah, we'll just throw the kids out there and see what happens. We have no idea. Could be good, could be bad, could be some injuries, could be some celebrations. We're not quite sure. We're going to throw out the white belt lineup and see what happens. Yo, curb your enthusiasm, Celtics version. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, but seriously, jokes aside, I like it, man. I'm a, um, I think I do think that Al Horford will win that roster battle to begin the year. I think that that makes the most sense in terms of seeing where Rob's at physically, seeing how his recovery goes from game to game, you know, how quickly is his body getting back to peak physical condition after a night's play? How many minutes does, is his body sustaining and recovering quickly? And once you've got the, the data and the science to back up how much he can play and how consistently he's going to be able to perform at a specific level, well, then you can start saying to yourselves, maybe we can slide him into the starting lineup or we can start rotating him and our matchup dependent against um, other starting fives. And I think that's where we'll end up towards the end of the year. It will just be you have two starting fives and one starts depending on who the opponent is. Yeah, I think I think that sums it up well. I think we're I think we're in alignment on that one. Do we want to? I mean, we we kind of started talking about Aaron Neesmith already, and he was in the next grouping of players that that you put together to me. So you sent over to me Neesmith versus Romeo versus Pritchard. I want to let you take this one to start. Yeah, so I've got all three of these guys down as shooting guards primarily. Um, you know, you can have, you can slide Neesmith up to the three, you can slide Romeo up to the three, or down to the one. And then Pritchard primarily played at the two last year with Dennis Schroeder on the roster. It says to me he's primarily going to play at the two again this year. So now you have three guys, all young, all in all in need of developmental minutes. Two of them can play off from their position. One of uh sorry, yeah, three all three can play up from their position. Uh, Pritchard is a two, Neesmith is a three, um, Langford is a three. Langford can also go down and play as the one. So now you've got three guys that are effectively fighting for two positions. And I just don't know. I think that no matter which way you want to slice this, I don't see a world where all three of them get a consistent role in this rotation. There's going to be a guy that is left by the wayside. Maybe he ends up getting traded. Maybe he forces himself into the team later in the year. And they all bring something different. I think Peyton Pritchard brings a composure an NBA mindset, can read defenses real well, and um, you know has a deep range from three, but isn't able to really create off the dribble yet. You've got Aaron Neesmith that's going to give you that floor spacing ability, high, like high enthusiasm defense, um, hustles his butt off, but doesn't really have an ability to score off screens yet, or we haven't seen that. I mean, I think he's going to be one of the better guys curling off screens and firing shots, but we haven't seen it at this level yet. 
And then you have Romeo Langford that effectively just had his first off season since entering the league. And he had a poor summer league showing, in my opinion. He was good, but he didn't dominate. So I'm not sure who, where, what positions these guys are fighting for, whether they're fighting for, (laughs) like, uh, that's a question within itself. And I I just genuinely don't know which way I want to lean to who loses out in this three-way battle. Yeah, I mean, I think this feels more like a roster battle for minutes within undetermined position as to where they slot into. It's just more of a minutes allocation. And so the way I look at it for me is Peyton Pritchard's probably the most stable out of the three. I feel like you know what you're going to get. Obviously, you know, he did have a very solid summer league. Uh, I believe was named all summer league team. I don't know if it was first team, second team, but, uh, you know, had a great showing. And he kind of, you kind of know what to expect with him right out the gate. Last year, he was already an over 40% three-point shooter, you know, gives you that expansion across the across the court that you're going to need with this team because he's really as of right now probably the best pure shooter you know not just talking about obviously Tatum and Brown have a lot more responsibility but just spot up spreading the floor Peyton Pritchard may be the best shooter in that sense on the Celtics team right now so I think he's probably got the lead to start the season as far as minutes go Neesmith, who you talked about, he's the one that I think has the most potential to get more and more minutes as the season goes. Because if he does develop that ability, as you mentioned, to be able to curl off screens, to be able to create additional spacing off of movement, and with his high energy on the defensive end, he seems like a guy that I would put in the second pole position as far as getting minutes within this roster battle, but probably has or will be given the opportunities to end up in that top pole position and maybe even potentially end up as a starter, as you and Greg talked about, isn't I think in the ideal version of what the Celtics team ends up with at the end of the season, Aaron Neesworth, if things have gone the best that they can possibly go for this team, I think that does look like it's Aaron Neesmith as your starting two guard or receiving very heavy minutes in that two guard or at that, at that wing role, either one um, as being that floor spacer. Now we get to your boy. This is where it gets a little tricky. Your boy Romeo. What do we do with Romeo? This is kind of this is the make or break year for Romeo. And I think he's last out of these three when we look at where the minutes are going to come from. But Ime is going to have to give him a chance. This is the year where it finds out is Romeo a guy that is going to be able to be utilized for this team or as a value asset in some other capacity, meaning likely a trade, but meaning what is Romeo Langford to this team and as an NBA player? Where does he fit? What is he going to be able to do on a consistent basis where you know what you're looking for when you put Romeo Langford into the game and it's not a crapshoot? So I think he's third in this roster battle, but I do think Ime's got to find a way to get him some time because you have to figure out who Romeo is at this point and what he is to this team. All I want to see from Romeo is a sense of urgency, man. I think if Romeo plays a little bit more of a higher pace, hit some of his frees at a more consistent clip and uses that athleticism that he rarely, like, I just don't understand why he isn't exploding to the room. Like, you, you've seen it in summer league. You've seen flashes of it yeah. um, when he has been healthy. He's got the ability to really explode and really cause some damage, man, and, like, d- jump into guys, dunk on guys. And we're not seeing that. He's settling to he's settling to be allowed to be run off his line. He's He's kind of allowing defenses to dictate his uh, line of sight, his ability to dribble. He'll never, his straight line drives just get absolutely destroyed. There's no sense of urgency. 
And that passiveness will be will be his downfall because when you look at how Pritchard plays and how Neesmith plays, those guys play with a very determined mindset of, hey, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to make it happen. You, you see Peyton Pritchard shooting from the logo and just being comfortable, like, yeah, I'm going to shoot from here because I, I need to hit these three points. You see Neesmith just jumping over guys' backs trying to get blocks. Just curling off screens at 50 miles an hour just because he needs to, he wants the separation to have an attempt. And then you see Romeo and he's like, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> maybe I'll tonight, like, maybe tomorrow. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Like, maybe I should pass the ball right now. Oh, okay. I'm going to defend though, because I know if I keep defending, I'm going to get minutes, but then I'm going to mm-hmm. let you down on offense because I'm not, he just doesn't seem like he's tuned into the mentality that you need to succeed at that level. Yeah. That, that pure, like sheer determination to succeed just doesn't seem to be there. It's it's the unknown mindset with him, and that's that's where I think he's hurt the most right now. In that, you know, Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith, they may have off games. They may go zero of four from three point land. Like you know, that's that's a distinct possibility. But you know what they are going to do? They're going to be pests on defense. They're going to be locked in and into the game on both sides of the floor. With Romeo, it's night to night. You know, we just don't know. And, and and part of that is he hasn't been given consistent playing time, but also. From what when he has been given the play time, he hasn't really showed like, hey, why aren't we giving him more consistent play time? It's inconsistent, you know. So I, I think for for Romeo, he's in my mind. I don't envision him getting a ton of minutes right off the bat, but it's going to come. It's going to happen at some point. And when his number gets called, it's make or break because I think he's one of these guys where you've seen enough from that if you don't see something different than what we've seen in the small sample sizes due to injuries and other reasons that we've seen thus far, this team is too deep. This team has too many people that are fighting for minutes that it's not going to be wasted on a guy that you're not sure of what you're getting each time you put him into the game at a bare minimum. So I think for Romeo, this is going to be a very important, whenever he gets his opportunity over a, a couple weeks span here to, to show that he's something different, he's something more than what he's been already in the NBA, it's make or break. And, and we'll see where he falls because then it, then it becomes time for the Celtics as a front office to make a decision. Is Romeo somebody that's part of the future? Or is it time to cut ties and move on one way or the other? It sucks, man, because out of every young guy on this roster, none of them have the ceiling of Romeo Langford. Yeah, Romeo and, Langford, and you're a huge Romeo guy, but you're not the only you're not the only analyst I've heard say this about Romeo that he has the highest ceiling. So you're not alone in that in that vein. But by like by a country mile, dude, I genuinely believe. I don't know if you guys have that saying out in the US. No, it is. I got you. I'm following. Yeah, but like, um, th- there is no way that anyone else on this roster has the the basketball pedigree, the, uh, the the sheer ability to dominate an NBA game like Romeo Langford, he just doesn't seem to have figured it out yet. And I get it. The game's probably moving 100 miles an hour for him. Every time you see him on the floor, it's probably the first time in six weeks, the first time in four weeks. Then you'll get a three-week span and he'll slowly start to show you that there's a player there. Then boom, he's out again. So I think the first thing he needs to do is show that he's healthy and he can stay healthy. Now, the differences between Romeo and Rob Williams, when Robert Williams is healthy, he impacts winning in a very dramatic way. When yep. Romeo Langford is healthy, it's, as you say, it's in fits and stops. And is, it's, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? So I do think that Romeo is going to get an opportunity to impress. I personally hope that this offseason has really helped him double down on his on his skill set and what he expects his role to be this year. I hope that Ime Odoka and the coaching team of uh, vocalized what they expect from him in what role this year 
and maybe that we can start to see something. But as things stand, uh, Romeo's on the outside looking in, and Pritchard and Neesmith are definitely leading that, leading the way and head of the pack. Yeah, and I, and I think that brings us to to the third battle that we want to talk about here. It's another third year guy, and it involves Grant Williams. So Grant Williams versus the newly acquired Juancho Hernan Gomez. I, I think this, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is where you were taking it when when you sent me the text message earlier. We're looking at who's going to be that first backup power forward, if you yeah. will. I, I I know like roles change all the time, but I think that's kind of what what we're looking at here, right? Yeah, and I mean, we can throw Jabari Parker into this mix as well because Jabari's going to be in that similar boat. And again, it's Jabari and Grant can slide up and play small ball five. Well, small ball five is very limited in terms of it's an option coaches always want to have in the, in the back. It's definitely a skill set that they want from some of their fours, but it's never going to be you can hang your hat on Grant Williams getting 15 minutes a night as the small ball five. It mm-hmm. just doesn't work like that. Yeah. So it definitely is going to be, for me, those three, Jabari, Grant, and Juancho for the first big off the be- uh, first four off the bench. And that's going to be probably one of the tougher battles, in my opinion. I feel like there's, a, there's reasons and pros and cons against each one of these guys and why they should get the minutes over each other. Yeah, I think this is the one spot in the Celtics rotation that, number one, I think it's the weakest spot of the Celtics rotation. Oh, for sure. And yeah, I don't even think it's necessarily close, not even worth debating. But, you know, I think this is the one where you're going to see a lot of turnover as to who has it. I think each of these three guys will get opportunities. Uh, you know, I feel like last year, especially if you're if you're anywhere near Celtics Twitter, you know Celtics Twitter is very down on Grant Williams. Grant Williams, not a popular name in, in Celtics Twitter over the last year. And it's it's funny, you know, I, I went to go look up some Grant Williams stats from last year. And, you know, he, he went from playing 15 minutes a game as a rookie to 18 minutes a game uh, on average last year. And most of his stats actually, you know, minutely went up. But like just about across the board, they slightly increased but the eye test did not did not feel that way. And so I get why Celtics Twitter feels the way they do. It didn't feel like Grant Williams really had, you know, any greater of an impact from year one to year two, except for that small ball five role. But as you said, that's kind of that that's an area of the toolkit that you can go to, but it's very, you know, dependent on your opponent. It's not something you can readily go to just when you need it. It's very dependent on context and situation. And and so for Grant, this is, you know, very similar to Romeo. It's a big year. What is Grant to this team? What is the value of Grant Williams? And, you know, one of the things that last year I do think was a very big positive from Grant Williams, his three-point shot from the corner, I I felt very reliable. I haven't looked up the direct numbers here. I know overall he ended up shooting a surprising 37% from three-point range on a little over, I think, or a little over, a little under two shots a game. But, you know, his three-point corner shot felt very reliable, and that's a big element that I think can be utilized. It's the other parts of Grant's game that were just really all over the place and kind of inconsistent as to turnovers, really feeling like he was a part of the offense. So, you know, for me, I feel like Jabari's going to be third in this only because there's the least riding on his contract and his particular situation. He's kind of just a nice-to-have to be honest. You know, Jabari Parker's going to be there. He's very cheap. He's expendable if something else happens and needs to be. But he's also great to have to go ahead and put him in when needed. Whereas with Grant, very similar to Romeo, what is he? Who is he? What's his value? What can he do either for us or in on the trade market? Wancho, 
you know, you brought him in. He's a $7 million contract. That's an option for the next year. So you kind of got to figure out same thing with him. Is he going to be something for us? Is he salary filler? Is he going to be a valuable part of this team for this year? Maybe next year as well. You know, a guy like Wancho could be extremely important. So I think for right now, I'm leaning towards it. Maybe it's just because it's a little new is that Wancho might be the guy that I would put in the lead in this battle. But like I said, I think there's going to be a lot of rotation between this. And and I don't think there's going to be necessarily a clear winner early on. They're going to have to kind of battle it out on the court. You see, I think that Wancho could possibly win. I think that when we look at Grant Williams, my biggest thing is, and this is like the most lazy comparison you can do, but it's the one that genuinely fits for me is PJ Tucker. Struggled yep. early in his career, figured it out later down the line. I think that when you say that Grant Williams' corner three was very uh, reliable, completely agree. The only difference between Grant Williams and PJ Tucker is there was absolutely no defense from Grant Williams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's a big which, difference. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy, right? Because in, in his rookie year, defense was one of his calling cards. And I think that maybe it was a sophomore slum. I do think that Grant's feet just looked like they were stuck in the mud a little bit. Um, wasn't really reading the rotations as well mm-hmm. as what you'd expect from a guy that's billed as a high IQ guy. So maybe if Grant Williams can rediscover his reading of the game, his processing speed, and start defending at an above average level while continuing to develop that corner free shot, then I think he wrestles the starting spot away from Pancho Ferretti. Sorry, not the starting spot, the first. The, the, the starting backup spot. Yeah, the starting <laughs> backup spot. I think he wrestles that away from Poncho throughout the year because I genuinely believe that Grant Williams has more upside than what Poncho does at, in terms of a free and D forward that comes in and plays a very specific role while more talented roster members around him do what they need to do. Um, he's, Grant Williams has the potential to be an exceedingly good complementary creep piece Pancho also does, but I think that Pancho is going to get exposed a little bit when guarding, um, you know, if another team slides their three up to the four, yeah. I think Pancho is going to get exposed quite quickly defensively there. Um, so I agree. I think Pancho wins the battle. I think Grant Williams throughout the year, if he shows his defense has improved and continues to hit the threes from the corner consistently, he has the opportunity to overtake Pancho. And Jabari Parker's your break in case of emergency type of guy. Yeah. Because he can just go out there and create his own offense and get you a quick six to ten points if if you need it. But Jabari Parker is also the guy that has the highest ceiling out of everybody in this rotation that we're talking about. It's just injuries have lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered the floor. And he's <laughs> very, very, very much stuck to that floor right now. Yeah, and well the good news is, you know, when we look at this power forward spot. Jason Tatum's at the top of the power forward spot. That's really good news for Celtics fans. Even better news, as we talked about to start this roster battle, Al Horford can play the four. So worst case scenario, we end up with some sort of rotation in which you have Jason Tatum and Al Horford in big moments in which they are the ones for the majority of the game locking down that four spot. Should these three not live up to par to be able to give true value? But that's, like I said, Celtics, are in a good position overall with their roster depth. This is the one area that's a bit of a weakness, but there are fall saves in the sense that you have Jason Tatum and Al Horford who can go ahead and handle those responsibilities. And if we forget the salary cap exists for just a moment, just for a little bit of fun, to bring this all the way back around to the start of the podcast, if by the trade deadline things aren't really working out for the Celtics at the backup four spot, they can always trade Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, and a bag of potato chips for... (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's go. I love it. That's the trade machines. The trade machine is warmed up and ready to go. We might need, I don't know if we have a, how many TPEs we got left, Adam? Do we have a TPE? Which we can fit million, that Simmons? Dude, there's 74 million TPEs. <laughs> I think there's a, I think there's four. Maybe. I think, I think it's four right now. I think the biggest one though is I think 17 million or 17 and a half million. Whatever. Yeah, two teams at the moment with that as well. New Orleans Pelicans have a very similar trade exception of seventeen million as well. Doesn't so, doesn't uh, quite fit Ben Simmons into that, but you know, maybe maybe we can make something work. We'll have to we'll have to pull some cap shenanigans here. Maybe we can pull something together. What are the odds on Ben Simmons shooting more than ten three pointers this year? Seventeen. Oh, it, sh- it should be it should be zero. He's not shooting more than ten threes. And and here's the thing about Ben Simmons. I don't even think he should be shooting threes. I just want him to shoot from the free throw line. I just want you to be able to make a mid range jumper, have a floater. I don't even think he needs to shoot threes. I feel like he should just abandon that altogether. And if anyone posts a lifetime fitness video of him shooting a three again, I I need to just block that person because I'm so sick of those videos. Wrong answers only. Who are you taking, Ben Simmons or Grant Williams? Grant Williams. There we go. go. I'm hoping people skip past the wrong answers only. Yeah, right? (laughs) They're just going to edit that part out for us. (laughs) Please do. Please do. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Celtics pod. I am so happy to be back with you all. Sorry that I've been AWOL for the last few weeks. Will. Really appreciate you, my guy, man. This has been fun. As you can tell, I'm a little bit out of practice. Stumbled over my words a few times. But hey, it it takes a minute to get that rhythm back. I I get you, man. I get you. People don't understand the confidence level behind the mic you need when everything's (laughs) being done live. Anyway, please make sure you leave that five-star written review if you're using an Apple device. I've seen a few new reviews. They've all been very, very nice to us, and I very appreciate it. Um, You can tweet at me if you want to have a discussion or you want to shout at me for anything I've said. Tweet at Will for the same reasons. If you don't have an Apple device, please make sure that you recommend us to your friends, family, co-workers, Uber drivers, pizza delivery guys, uh, gardeners, if people are doing your guy. you got a poor guy. If your poor guy's wearing a jersey, go tell your poor guy. Then let me know how you afforded a pool in the first place. And we will catch you again on Friday. Everybody stay safe. We're counting down to training camp. And we will speak soon. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do